Good evening. It is good to see each one. If you're a guest this evening, it is an honor to have you. If you would be open your Bibles to John, the ninth chapter. It's always good to be able to come together at the close of the Lord's Day and worship another time and be encouraged by each other's singing and presence. God blesses us in many ways. Be sure you continue to be prayerful about summer camp as already has been done tonight. Let's continue to do that. And then be praying also for the stateside mission trip that's coming up soon. Be praying that hearts will be softened and that doors will be open and that we'll be wise in every way that we reach out. And in a sense, that's one of the things that we'll be looking at tonight as we look at Jesus, the one that was so successful in evangelism. How is it that Jesus was able to connect with people and bring them from a state of not knowing anything about him to the point that they would want to become disciples of him. If we can figure out and learn how Jesus did that, it should help us know how we could help others learn about Jesus and become disciples of his also. In our daily Bible reading, we've been going through the book of John. And so we'll be looking at John, the ninth chapter. And if you would be opening your Bible, the Pew Bible is page 949. We will not have the text on the slides tonight because there's so much reading that we'll do out of John the ninth chapter, uh, but most of it will be right there in John the ninth chapter. So take your Bible and open up and we'll begin uh, a, a wonderful uh, study of a wonderful, wonderful chapter. Most of us probably can't really imagine what it's like to be blind. Right now, imagine if someone put a blindfold uh, over your eyes and, and you sat through the rest of the service blind. That might not be that difficult, but what would you do when the final amen was said? How well would you do navigating your way out to the car? And then at what point would you realize, hey, I drove tonight. I, I can't drive home. I'm blind. Can you imagine how it would change your life? And as we look at this blind man in John the ninth chapter, we see how it affected many in the first century. You see, because they were impaired in that such a way, they weren't able to make any kind of living. And this young man had to go and be a beggar. He had to rely upon charitable deeds that individuals would give to him in order to survive. And so we see a picture of a man that's in great need. And tonight, what I'd like for you to do, it's a very simple lesson, but I believe that we can identify maybe aspects even of our own life that we say, you know, that is just a little bit too much like me. I believe I need to work in that area. Let's all think about ourselves and let's be very honest with ourselves. And what we're going to do is we're going to study the characters of John the ninth chapter and see how everybody seemed to deal with the blind man. And then which one is most like you when it comes to helping individuals? And of course, we're going to see that Jesus was the one that was the perfect example, and hopefully we're the most like him. But we'll see at least four other individuals that didn't fare so well as examples. Look with me, if we will, John the ninth chapter, and let's begin verse 1 as he says, Now as Jesus passed by... Let's go to the next slide, and, and we'll see a setup here of these four. Look in, in the first verse. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, we don't have this on the slide, but let's go ahead and start painting this picture. Jesus is the perfect example. What did he do? He passed by. 
Don't you think Jesus at least had two eyes and was able to notice, I'm about to pass by a blind man and it's obvious that he's begging. It's obvious that I'm going to feel compelled. I need to do something about it. How many of us, I'm not expecting you to be proud of this. Let's just be honest with ourselves. How many of us, if we saw the blind man there, we might be more likely to not pass by him, to walk around him, to go a different direction. Friends, it says a lot when it says that Jesus passed by him. He was willing. He was intentional to walk his way. But then notice the next thing that said in that verse 1. He saw a man. Jesus went with open eyes. You remember James 1 and 27 to go and visit widows and orphans in their affliction? And that word there for visit literally means to go with open eyes. In other words, go with open eyes to see the affliction that widows and orphans may have in their life. We are taught over and over in the scriptures of how we need to have eyes that's open, is aware of other people's needs. I'm going to have a much better probability of being able to convert people to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if I'm willing to go by them and see their need and first help them physically. That doesn't mean that once I help them physically, they will for sure become a disciple of Jesus. I think sometimes we make that mistake as Christians. We think that if we help someone for a matter of time, and if we give enough of our heart, and if we give them enough of our effort, they're just going to immediately become Christians. That's not so either. But the benevolence is righteous for our sake no matter what. But many times when people see how much we truly care and they see the love of Jesus Christ, they are awakened to something they've never seen before and they oftentimes do want to learn more. That's what we see in this story. Once the man sees the power of Jesus, he wants to learn more about him spiritually. But it doesn't fare so well with the others. Let's go to the very second verse and we see what his disciples say here. Verse 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Does that surprise you? Here's a man blind. He needs some help. And Jesus' disciples, we're not talking about low life. We're talking about good people. You and I are disciples of Jesus. We're talking about people a lot like us. And what did they do? They said, Jesus, before we talk to that man, let's have a little talk. Who was the one that created such sin in this man's life that he would be born blind? Was it he that sinned so much? Or was it his parents that sinned so much that God punished his children, their children? Let's pause for a moment and ask, why does it matter? Have you ever seen someone that may need help? Maybe they've gone through a divorce. Maybe they've had rebellious children that are giving them just so much turmoil. Maybe they're addicted to a substance. Maybe there's been huge conflict in relationships in their life. Maybe they can't pay the rent or the mortgage. You picture someone that might fit that bill and you imagine walking by. Is your first thought going to be, hmm, I wonder who's to blame in this situation? Now ask yourself, why does that matter to you? There could be some good answers to that probably. 
But let me tell you what our human nature is. Our human nature is if I can fix blame on somebody else, it's a lot easier for me to wash my hands and say, well, you have made your bed, you lie in it, I'm going to go on my way. Friends, if that is my reason that I want to find out who is to blame in a situation so that I can walk away and not feel guilty, that's not a very good reason to try to figure out blame. Now, on another side note of this same question, it's interesting how this has seemingly always been the mindset of mankind in general. That if something bad is happening in someone's life, somebody has to be blamed for it. Do you remember Job? You know, Job, even though it's found kind of over in the middle of the Old Testament, was written in one of the earliest time periods, probably one of the earliest books that we have written in the Bible. And so very early in human history, God records the story of Job. Do you remember the friends that came and sat around him and how they were such good friends for seven days? Because for seven days, they didn't say anything. They didn't cast blame. But once they began speaking, every speech they gave was to blame Job for all this that had happened in his life. Now, you and I know the story. We've read the story. Job was not to be blamed. But his friends sure thought they were, that he was. Friends, I need to learn the lesson here in John 9. I need to learn the lesson from Job. That many times, the individuals that are hurting the most aren't to be blamed. And even if they are, they still oftentimes need someone to help bear their burden. Would I be right to say that many of us are capable of making beds that if we lie in those beds, it's impossible for us to bear that burden alone? I believe that's a true statement. Now, you can look over at me and you can say, well, you're to blame. But the truth is, oftentimes, if I'm ever going to get out of that situation, I'm going to need someone that's compassionate enough to say, come on, I'll help you shoulder that load. I'll walk with your baggage a little while. I'll help you out. In Luke, the 13th chapter, and I I just got to mention this quickly, or we're going to slow down too much here. But remember, that was the whole question in Luke, the 13th chapter. Remember, there was blood of, of Galileans mixed in Pilate's offerings, and so individuals thought they must have been the most wicked Galileans to live. And in verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you, no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In other words, he's saying, no, simply because those people died a terrible death doesn't mean that they were the most wicked sinners. And then the very next verse, starting about verse 5 or verse 4, he says, then there was a tower that fell in Jerusalem. So individuals were saying they are the most wicked people in Jerusalem because if they weren't, something that bad would not have happened. And Jesus again says, I tell you, no. In other words, Jesus tells them two different occasions. You think that just because something horrible has happened to someone, they must be such bad people. And both times the answer was no. Friends, I need to realize this. Bad things happen to good people. And next time I'm ready to cast blame, I instead ought to bite my tongue. And maybe what I ought to do is say, I wonder how I could serve them. I wonder how I could help them. Now, Jesus answers them, and then he heals this man. If you're scanning along, you see in verse 7, 
After verse 6, that he spat on the ground and made clay with slava and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And then he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he did. Now remember, at this point, we're studying characters that were trying uh, to, to ha- they were having some form of interaction with this blind man who is now a seeing man. So let's read about another set of characters. We just read about Jesus' disciples. Now let's read about this man's neighbors. Let's begin reading in verse 8. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He looks like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes open? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Now does anything strike you interested about in in an interesting type of way about their reaction? What did they want to know? Do you see the rejoicing here? Kill the fatted calf, let's celebrate. Our neighbor that was blind now sees. He's been blind from his his birth. He's been having to, to work as a beggar. Isn't this a great day? Our neighbor now sees. Do you see that? No. What kind of neighbors are these? What do they want to know? Uh, excuse me, sir. We just wanted to check on your history. Weren't you the blind guy that used to sit around here and beg some? Oh. Oh, you are. Okay. Hey, by the way, how do you, how do you see now? Oh, a man named Jesus. Where's he? I don't know. All right. Is that kind of like us? We're more concerned about people's history than we are about What has happened in their life? Well, I tell you what, his father was a lot like that too. There's no hope for him. Oh, I know his family. Oh, let me tell you, I've been around a lot of people that have problems like her. Trust me, with a history like that, you're never going to be able to help her. Friends, the disciples wanted to cast blame. His own neighbors had no rejoicing for him. They just wanted to make sure they had the history right. Oh, yeah, you're that one. I've I've got it now. And then of all things, there's the Pharisees. Look with me, if you will, beginning of verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asked him again. Now he had received his sight. And he said or how he'd received his sight, and he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, because he opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. I need to realize Jesus did not violate the Sabbath. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. You see, what he violated was their tradition of the Sabbath. The very teaching even allowed that even if 
if something as lowly as an ox or a donkey was in some kind of situation of desperate need of an improvement of health, if they had fallen into a ditch, that you had the right to go out and work to get that donkey or that ox out of the ditch so that they could live because there was a value on the life of that animal. How much so would it be true that there's a value on the life of people and if a person could be helped on the Sabbath, that was not a violation of the Sabbath. It was only a violation of the tradition. But notice again, how do they react to this man being healed? I want you to try to imagine in your mind that you were this man. You were this man that was going to be healed and maybe you overheard Jesus' disciples. Hey, which one's the wicked one, him or his parents? And then the very neighbors that you listened to day after day after day as you were trying to beg to survive, when they see that you see, there's no celebration. It's just, hey, just wanted to make sure you were that one. Okay. And then of all things, when he comes before his own religious leaders, the Pharisees, all they wanted to do was to pin some kind of sin on Jesus. Now this next one, I know many of us already know this story. If you don't know this story, this next one will probably surprise you. Of all people, you wouldn't expect his parents to step out of standing up on him for him. Look with if you will in verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight and they asked them. This is the Pharisees asking the parents, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. Now pause there for just a moment. If it stopped right there, you could give the parents the benefit of the doubt. Hey, maybe they weren't standing around when Jesus healed. And now even the boy doesn't even know where Jesus is at this point or the son. And so maybe they don't know. John makes sure that we know the rest of the story. Look at the very next verse. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Parents, we have a question for you. Is this your son? Yes. We have a second question for you. Was he blind and now he sees? Yes, that's true. He was blind and now he sees. We have a third question for you. How did this take place? John gives us the inside to this. Oh, oh, he's old enough, son. You ask him. He'll take care of it. Can you imagine the boy's own parents? In other words, are saying, excuse me? I don't want to get involved in that. I know it's a burden he's having to bear right now. First he had to bear the burden of blindness. Now he's having to bear the burden of being able to see and it's stirring up such strife among the Pharisees. But I tell you what, I don't want to get involved in that. 
That might be a lesson for us as parents. How many times do we not do what we need to do? We try to take the way out of not being involved in certain things because we don't want conflict, confrontation. Did you notice that the scripture clearly said they feared the Jews? Fear is never the right motive to make any decision. Well, my son or daughter, they really need to be talked about, talked uh, to about a certain subject, but I'm just afraid. Well, wipe that just afraid right out because that's not going to stand in the way of a good decision. Well, I know that I really ought to take care of this issue in my life, but I'm afraid. Well, confront your fears because fear always leads to poor decisions. These parents had a lot at stake. You see, if they were cast out of the synagogue, that not only would change their religion, but it would change their social standing among the Jews. It might mean that they might have lost his job. It might have meant that when they went to the marketplace and tried to buy just daily goods, other Jews might refuse to sell to them. They might have been individuals that would take things to sell at the marketplace. And if they were cast out of the synagogue, they probably would not be able to sell their goods. In other words, they wouldn't have not just been excommunicated from a religion. It would have probably been from the community also. And so they're weighing out here. And the idea of leaving their son and not getting involved in his issues, that seemed pretty appealing as to the other side of being cast out of the synagogue. But friends, as we start wrapping this up, I want you to notice this as we think back. How do you reach souls? Jesus was able to reach this young man. Look, if you will, as we go down to verse 35. Remember previously that the young man did not know where Jesus was? Skip down to 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. You see, this young man had taken such a stand for Jesus. Even though he wasn't really for sure who Jesus was, except he knew that something this grand had to come from God. But yet, he knew what he had experienced. He knew what he had seen in the life of Jesus. And he stood up for him, even though now he was cast out. Jesus heard that he had been cast out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You see, first, Jesus helped the man physically. He didn't walk around the man he passed by him. He saw him. And when his disciples wanted to just cast blame, Jesus wanted to heal. And when his neighbors could care less about him, Jesus went out and found him once he was cast out. When the Pharisees all they were concerned about was whether or not Jesus had violated the Sabbath, and 
in turn casting this young man out? It was Jesus that went and said, let me tell you a little more. Do you know about the Son of God? Let me tell you about Him. I'm Him. And He fell down and He worshiped. Friends, if we're going to reach people the way Jesus reached people, the blame game has to stop. The idea of not even knowing our neighbors, not even have eyes that are open and hearts that are open, it has to stop. The idea of tradition being more important than souls has to stop. And the idea of saying, I just don't want to get involved, it has to stop. Jesus was just the opposite of all four of those groups of people. And Jesus was the one that succeeded. Tonight, that same Jesus that came to this earth to give sight to the blind wants to give sight to all of us spiritually. Sin blinds us. It separates us from God. It leaves us in darkness. And Jesus wants to save us. If you're not saved this evening, why not? The only one that can make you see again has given that great invitation and He wants to save you. Are you a believer willing to turn away from your sin, willing to confess before men that He is the Son of God, just as Jesus asked this young man, do you believe in the Son of God? And are you willing to be baptized to wash those sins away? Maybe you've been a believer and lived like a believer until some recent past and something separated you from God, something has put you on the wrong course and you need to see your way back. God's the one that can give light. He's the one that can give us the sight through forgiveness. We'll confess our faults one to another and pray one for another, James 5 and 16. Tonight, Let's truly do give some thought to the people that might be right around us that Jesus might see that we maybe have been overlooking. But before we can be concerned about that, during this invitation song, let's think about our own life and our own soul. And let's make sure that spiritually we are awake and that we see clearly the gracious God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.